Good morning. What an honor it is to come here on my birthday and be sung to, have balloons that are black, and all of the above. Thank you very much. And uh... <laughs> all right, we're done with all that. But thank you anyways uh, for the uh, birthday uh, song, and uh, I wanted to show you this because I've been using this a lot in my house. Uh, as you know, I moved here, been here about three months, and uh, so we uh, bought a house in Lapeer, and uh, even yesterday I was hanging pictures, and so I had the opportunity to use um, a level because my wife wants the pictures to be straight. Um, I could just kind of eyeball them and put them up, and uh, they would be somewhat straight, but I try to use that just so we can put it up there. Any of you like a perfectionist and you want everything just to be exactly just the right way? <laughs> PD, you're not a perfectionist. <laughs> That's what he does with the chairs here at the church. He wants them to be exactly the way uh, they need to be. So, yeah, I've been using that. Uh, and so today, I want to tie this into this passage that we've been looking at in James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles... Today, I want to encourage you to open that up, and uh, we'll be looking today specifically at verses 9 to 12, and I've entitled the message today, The Level Ground of Trials. Um, I'll be glad when we're able to move on in James beyond the the whole trial subject, but as I've talked to you uh, over the last three months, I've seen that many of you have faced trials. Or even in the midst of trials even now. Trials in our lives tend to come and go. And so we've got to be ready because we never know when they're going to show up. We have to be ready. And so James, uh, understanding the context here of the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. They had lost a lot of their, a lot of their possessions, their homes, their uh, you know, things, their material things. And so... They knew what trials were and experiencing, and as James was writing this letter to them, he was trying to encourage them in the midst of trials. And so as we come to this passage today, in James chapter 1, we'll be talking a little bit more about this. Now, I want to shift gears just for a second. Many of you know that I love sports and love to coach. Any of you knew that I had coached? Any of you? All right, a few of you. So over in West Michigan, before I moved over here, I had, uh, I had the privilege of, of coaching a uh, boys' varsity soccer team. And so today, I wanted to show a picture uh, here. Um, I don't know where that picture came from, but it's not the picture I want. Let's make sure this is on. There it is. All right, so these are, uh, these are my boys. Um, I call them my boys because uh, I grew to love these guys, and uh, we had gone through a lot of things together. And uh, all of these boys, um, so this team was all homeschooled uh, boys, uh, but actually they're very good at soccer. Um, they spent a lot of time perfecting their craft as, as soccer players, and many of them go on to play college soccer. And so uh, I wanted just to tell you a little bit about uh, them and our journey this last year. Um, boys soccer is in the fall. And so this last year, our team went 
we had 25 wins, we had one tie, and we had two losses. And uh, we had the opportunity to play a lot of public schools, Christian schools, other homeschool teams. And our boys, a lot of times in games, were uh, better than the competition. And, uh, and so there were many games that we mercied teams um, just because I don't, the, the, uh, the ground was not level. You know what I mean? Like one team was this good and one team was that good. And sometimes as a coach, I felt really bad. Like, why did we even schedule this team? This is actually kind of humiliating, not only for us, because my boys want to go out and play and I'm holding them back. Like at halftime, I'm like, you guys cannot shoot unless you are in the 10 yard box. And, and still they would go and score goals. And uh, then I pull them out and like, you did not listen to me. You're on the bench. And so this picture here is actually the state tournament, um, which is held in Lansing. And uh, the first team that we played in the state tournament was from Traverse City. And the score at the end of the game was 15 to zero. It was bad. I felt bad. I'm like, why? Why are we? And, and to be honest, we could have scored way more goals. I held our guys back because I'm like, this is humiliating. The second game uh, was four to zero. And um, I don't even remember where that team was from. The third game uh, was four to one. We played a team from Kalamazoo. And then the third game, uh, is they're from East Michigan, and we beat them three to zero. So our guys, this is the picture right in front of the goal after they gave us the trophy because we won the state championship it's homeschool teams. And so um, depending on how you do at the state tournament, then we'll determine your seeding for the national tournament. So the next week, we went to, uh, to Tennessee to be in the national tournament. Out of 36 teams, our team was ranked number one uh, in the pool. And so um, this next picture here is at the national tournament. And uh, those games, there, the first game, we won 5-0. to zero. The next game, so we were starting to face a little tougher competition, we, uh, the score was 1-1. One to one. It was actually one of our first, it was our only tie of the year. The next game, it was a team from North Carolina, and we beat them 5-2. to two. That game was physical. Our boys had never seen that type of physicality uh, where they were literally grabbing our boys' shirts, pulling them to the ground. And as a coach, I was kind of getting upset because, like, don't, you don't treat my players like that. But in the end, we beat them pretty bad. So that was pretty nice. But we made the finals of the national tournament. And that game, we placed another team from, from uh, North Carolina. Very good. And we actually lost. We lost three to one. This picture right here is, uh, I don't know, you can't probably see their faces, but they did not want a picture because our boys are used to winning. They're not used to losing. And even a second place trophy, they were not interested in that. It was not good enough. Their expectations were way higher. And so they were very, uh, very sad but my point in all of this is sometimes in athletics, and you've probably experienced it, sometimes it's not a level 
not a level playing field. And that's what we experienced a little bit uh, this year. And um, sometimes in life, it's the exact same way. And that's what we're going to see from this passage today, that in trials, it's not always a level ground. But as James was writing here, he was telling them that when it comes to trials, all of us are on a level playing field. So let's look um, at James chapter 1, and we want to look specifically at verses 9 through 12. 9 through 12, it says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray together. Dear Father, just show us from the scriptures things that would be helpful to us today as we face trials in our lives and as we think about what you have for us and how we can grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we come specifically to this passage and we think about our culture, our culture places a difference between the rich and the poor. Our culture tells us that they are not on the same level. Now, as we know, and as we've been studying, James has been talking about trials and troubles that they do not play favorites. You know, if you're a Christian, that doesn't mean that you can avoid trials. All of us face trials. Trials do not know how many assets you have. Trials do not know what is, how much money you have in your retirement account. It doesn't even know your nationality. It doesn't know how many vehicles you have or how many, what kind of vehicle you drive. Trials come to everyone. We all face them and we don't have a choice. But we do have a choice and how to tackle them with God's giving grace. See, in the past, as we've gone through James, we've talked about in 1, 1 to 4, the passage told us there how to have the proper attitude in trials, to count them all joy. As we moved on further in the passage, in verses 5 to 8, which we looked at last week, we looked at God will provide wisdom in the midst of trials, for those who ask in faith, believing. And so James is trying to teach us and teach these fellow believers that in the midst of trials, you can have joy and you can ask for wisdom because God will provide it. As we move on to the passage today, we see that when we come to trials, all of us are on a level playing field. All of us. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter how much you have, what color your skin is. If you're a person, you're on a level playing field as far as trials go. As I said to you before, 
I personally wish that I could just opt out of trials. I personally just wish God would send me a box or a letter that says, do you want a trial, yes or no? And I'd be like, nope, no thanks, not interested. I think I'll just keep living my life. I like it when things are smooth and things are just moving right along in a really good trajectory. So, I want to ask you today, when trials come, how are you responding? Are you resting and trusting in Christ in the midst of trials? So this morning, as we look at this passage, I want to look at verses 9 to 11 first, and then we'll look at verse 12. And what we see here is a paradox in this passage. What is a paradox? A paradox is defined as a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense, but yet it is perhaps true. I want to share a few from Scripture. You might be like, oh yeah, I remember reading that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul said this. He says, for when I am weak, then I am... What? Yep. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 39. If anyone finds this life, will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. What? It makes no sense. That's not what our culture teaches. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43, Jesus said, But whoever wants to be a great among you must be your servant. What? Be a servant to be great? That doesn't make sense. In Matthew 20, verse 16, Jesus said, The last will be first, and the first will be... What? See, these are all paradoxes. Like, it's kind of confusing a little bit. And as we come to this passage, we have the same thing. All of these passages catch our attention because at first they sound contradictory. But when you think about it, you're like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. So oftentimes in the Bible, these truths are used to teach us something and to cause us to think. So we see the same thing in James chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, Let the lowly brother rejoice in his exaltation. You're like, what? And then it goes on, and then it says, Let the rich in his humiliation. So that's what we want to talk about today. But before we get into the meat of this, I want to give you just a general observation. James gives us two paradoxes here to look at. The first deals with the poor. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. It says in this passage, because God has honored them. So in this passage, we're going to see that one group of people are going to be tested in their poverty, and the other group of people are going to be tested in their wealth. 
if you look at us as Americans, are we poor or are we rich? Well, according to U.S. standards, we might be mediocre. I don't know what your income level is here. I didn't ask you at the door. And to be honest, it's none of my business. But the passage here is communicating to the poor and to the rich. And what I want us to see today is to walk away and to learn something. So, let's jump in. Let's look at the first, first paradox. We see here in verse 9, he first starts talking about the poor. And that they will receive exaltation in their trials. In James chapter 1, verse 9, in the NIV, this is the way it reads. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. In the ESV, which I just read, it says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The Amplified Bible, which I like to read sometimes just because it kind of further explains things, it says, let the lowly brother... And humble circumstances, glory in his high position. So to understand this, what I want to do is I want to break this down into three phrases that we see right from the scriptures. Number one is believers who are poor. These believers here specifically are poor. They don't have a lot financially. They don't have much money. They don't have a big house. They don't have a nice car. They don't have nice clothes. They don't even have a big education. They are poor. As James was writing this to these readers, these people probably really connected with this idea because they probably just didn't have a whole lot. If they had anything, it could have been a broken down house if they had a house at all. So when you... When you're poor, when I first went to my first ministry, I thought I was pretty poor because what they paid me was pretty poor, (laughs) but the Lord provided. Um, When you don't have money to provide what you think your children need, sometimes you're faced with discontentment, maybe envy. Jealousy, maybe even greed. Some of the trials that this group of people maybe were even facing could have been economic. They were just struggling really to meet needs that they had. There's another temptation that could come with being poor. You could see yourself as not valuable. You could start seeing yourself as a no one. Even the world around you could disregard you or look down on you because of your financial status. And if the world sees you as low and a nobody, then you could be tempted to look at yourself in that same fashion. Let's look at this next phrase. He says, believers who are poor, they have something to boast about. The word boast here carries the idea or could be translated to rejoice or glory. 
I don't know if you guys have ever been like on the economic scale where you've been poor, but a lot of times there's not much to rejoice about. It's kind of like, how are we going to eat tomorrow? You know, how are we going to survive? But this passage tells us that they're to boast. James is giving a legitimate reason for these Christians to rejoice and to have a genuine reason to glory in something. See, you, you may not be able to rejoice about your house or your car or your clothes or anything that you own, but these believers could boast that they've been adopted into a family of God, that they had been given wisdom for the journey of life, that they had been provided eternal future in heaven. See, it doesn't matter how little or how much you have you have something to boast in that you are a child of God. It's a reality. That's God's truth for us to claim and then to rejoice. Listen to this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is unperishable, undeniable, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. See, Peter was explaining to his readers the same concept. You know, in this life, we may have troubles. We may have trials. It may seem like we're poor, but in Christ, you have something to boast about. Let's look at this next phrase. Not only believers, it says believers that are poor have something to boast about, for God has exalted them. However material lacking in life these believers might have been, James said to them to consider themselves to be honored, to be exalted. And in the NIV, it uses the word to have a high position. This is what God has done for them through the power of the gospel. Spiritually, James is telling them, you've made it. You've reached the top. You are the child of the Most High God. You have been adopted into his family, and you are an heir of God. See, brothers and sisters in Christ today, it doesn't matter what your financial status is. It matters whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he was saying to them. These trials, when you know Christ, they're way easier to handle because you have a totally different, eternal perspective. If we're just living for the here and the now and the material things, our lives and our mentality will be totally skewed. We'll be living for the wrong thing. 
And when the trials and the storms come, our lives are going to be a wreck because we're investing in something that only is for right now. And James is telling them, make an investment in eternity. It doesn't matter your financial status, whether you're poor or whether you're rich. Invest in the heavenly. Invest in the spiritual. I have a little homework assignment for all of us this week. Because what I want you to do is I want you to relish, if you're a child of God, I want you to relish in what you have in Christ. I would love for you to read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Read about the spiritual riches that you have in Christ. See, when we start feeling low, and we think about that our world is broken down, and that we're battered and we're worn out, and you start thinking to yourself that you're not much and you're a nobody, you need to remember how rich you are in Christ because that's what really counts. As a child of God, you have the opportunity to talk to the Heavenly Father. You can go to Him at any time and all the time. It doesn't matter whether it's 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 10, 12, or noon. As a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. So even though you may be poor here, you're rich there. Remember these things when you're facing trials. The poor earthly believer is actually, actually rich spiritually. And that's the paradox of it all. Now I want to look at verses 10 through 11 here because now we're moving on where the passage talks about the rich. It says here in this passage in verse 10, it says, And the rich in his humiliation. It's another paradox. See, James says those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. These statements of truth, these paradoxes, seem contradictory, but they're true. Once we think about them and we pause and slow down and think about them deeper, we see what's going on. See, here's the deal. The testing of life and trials and troubles that we face have a way of leveling us. Whether we're rich, whether we're poor, it doesn't matter. See, because being rich comes with its own trials. I don't know if you've been tempted to rely on your own trials, your own wisdom, your own finances in the midst of trials. Because that's a problem that we might face as rich Americans. See, if we were to look at our income as Americans based on some of the third world countries that I've been in, every one of us are rich. We're really rich. And oftentimes, we tend to look at what we have 
and see if we've arrived. So regardless of your financial position or how much money you have or don't have, what we're to boast in is our spiritual position. The position that we should be excited about is the position that we have before God. So the rich believer needs to remember that even though they have all the money to be able to buy what they need, we have nothing of eternal value without Jesus. So the poor need to remember that they're rich, and the rich need to remember that they're poor. That's the paradox. The rich man, the rich person will be challenged with temptations that money can't fix. So everyone, the rich, the poor, and everyone in between will go through trials and we need Christ through it all. It's a level playing field. And what Christ is trying to get us to do is to trust him. Listen to this prayer in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. We all still have problems and trials. The temptation or the test for the rich is to rely on their money to meet their needs and to fix their problems and could eventually drift away from God, forgetting, and forgetting God and saying, well, who is the Lord anyways? Or the rich person might say, God, who needs his help? On the other hand, the temptation for the poor will be to doubt God by taking matters in their own hand. They may even come to the point where they steal to get what they need. The poor might ask questions like, where is the Lord? Why aren't my needs being met? Where is he when I need him? So for both the rich and the poor believers, the temptation for all of us is to act independently of God. We have problems, we have trials, we have troubles. I want this fixed, and I want it fixed now. I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable. I want to remind all of us, why is this written here for us? Why is this written? Because this passage is all about our spiritual growth. It's all about growing in Christ. James has not changed subjects from verses uh, 2 to 12. He's been telling us the same thing over and over again. And as you've heard me talk, you're probably like, I'm done with this whole trial stuff. But that's what James is trying to say. He said, trouble is coming your way. But in verse 12, he says, God blesses those who patiently endures the troubles. I like to be blessed. So James is trying to help us with the reality 
of our troubles and trials so that we can experience the blessings of God that only come through his patience, his patient endurance that comes from your faith in God and the wisdom that God has applied to your life. It's all about our spiritual growth. Here's another observation I made. As a believer, you're more affected by your wealth or the lack of it than you might think. The book of James talks about material possessions in five different passages. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. James 2, 15 and 16. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Verses 13 to 17. And then chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. And he contrasts in this passage the rich and the poor. And he shows us five different times of how this can affect us. Now verse 11 and 12 goes on and says... And a reminder that everything we have will fade away. All of our worldly pursuits pursuits will be faded away. Be careful that your investment is not in the world and its possessions. Look at verse 10. It says, In the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. Verse 11, it says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I don't know if many of you like yard work or flowers, but I like that kind of stuff. When the spring hits, I just have like this, oh man, I want some flowers to put up to keep them watered. I like a nice green lush yard. And I gave that up in Grand Rapids. And you ought to see my yard now. It's bad. I don't even know if there's any grass in the yard. Uh, the people that lived there before us, they didn't rake any leaves. So it basically killed the grass. So every day I look out in the front yard and I'm like, I don't even have a yard. This is like dirt. So we'll see what we can do. But that's what happens. The grass fades away, the flowers, the beauty of that in the spring. But when we get the new season in the, in the uh, fall, in the winter, those flowers die. And that's what happens with us. Be careful where you place your investment. Because we can invest here in the world and we forget about the future investment that is way more worthwhile. But sometimes we forget that because we're right here. Think about this. As you think about this paradox, the poor being rich, you'll discover somewhere in there that money may make life easier, but it doesn't often make it more meaningful. Think about that. We all need money. I'm not against that. But the Bible tells us that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so today, as we think about this, and as we look at the low and we look at the high, and as the Bible talks about that we're on a level playing field because of our eternal riches in Christ, think about your investment. What are you trusting in today?
This brings us to um, verse 12 here because, um, oh, I forgot the rest of this. Jesus wants you to experience a meaningful life that can only be experienced in the eternal things of God. And those are things that make you truly rich. Let's look at verse 12. What we see here is the Beatitudes of trials. In verse 12, what is the very first word of the passage? Does anybody have your Bible right there? Blessed. You guys heard that word before? And where have you heard it before? Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, 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 blessed. And we see that here. So we see a blessing. James ends this section with a beatitude. The first phrase says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The word blessed is the same word that we see in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. And so this section here in verse 2, it starts with joy. And in verse 12, it ends with blessedness. What is blessedness? Blessedness is to be characterized by deep inner happiness and being highly favored, fortunate, and inner joy that only the Lord can give to those who endure and defeat trials. I got to tell you about this guy that was um, at the church I came from. His name was Phil. Now, one of the phrases that we oftentimes um, ask people is, how are you doing today? Do you guys ever say that? And people usually give you a pat answer. Oh, I'm doing great. The weather is amazing, or I don't know. But Phil, Phil was probably a guy about close to 80. But if you asked Phil, he had a pat answer. Phil, how are you doing today? He'd say, and he had a really deep voice, almost like a radio voice, and I can't do it. But he would say, I'm blessed and highly favored. Every time. I mean, you ask Phil, how are you doing today? I kind of get to the point where I stopped asking him. You know why? Because I already knew how he was doing today. But you know why Phil answered that question? That way? Because he wasn't just fine. He was a child of the Most High God. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm blessed and highly favored. Most people were like, what? They did not know how to take him. But that's what he was talking about. He was a child of God. He had the Holy Spirit. He had been adopted into God's family. He was an heir of the kingdom of God. He was blessed. Now, it doesn't mean here that we're going to be trial-free, which I have already told you I would like to be. It doesn't mean that you're going to have the pleasures of life at your disposal. It doesn't mean that you are going to be completely satisfied and everything's going to be perfect. But what it does mean is that you're going to have, as you live this kind of life, you're going to have a deep inner joy from God that continues to shine in you as you walk through these trials of life. And that's what Phil told me every time. I asked him, I could go there today to that church and say, Phil, how you doing? And he would say, I'm blessed and highly favored. 
without a doubt. I know that's what he's going to say. So think about that. Think about the blessing that you have from God. Let's look at the process here. So we see the blessing from verse 12, but how do you get the blessing? It comes through a process of steady perseverance. Verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. This is a person that that keeps their eyes and their hearts focused on a complete trust in God. It's a true and dedicated, faithful believer of God. It's seeking approval from God and not worrying about anything else. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the testing of your genuous of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the passage tells us here that we're to remain steadfast. It means to endure, to face, to withstand with courage, to hold out, to remain faithful, to be steady, to be, keep at it. Don't quit. If I was your soccer coach, that's what I'd be telling you. Come on, son, you can do this. Work hard, be faithful, be, be consistent. You want to be a good player? You got to work hard. It happens in the off season because when the trials of that national tournament come, are you going to be ready? Same thing happens with us as a believer. We need to be in the word. We need to be praying. Because when the trials come, we need to know where our source of help and strength comes from to remain steadfast. So it tells us here, not only do we have a blessing that we could have this inner joy, this peace, that we can be blessed and highly favored, it comes through a process of remaining steadfast, being faithful. But there's a reward. I like rewards. Do you? I don't know about you guys, but on my phone, I have, and maybe this isn't a thing I should share, but I have, I have all the food apps. You know why? Because I like rewards. I mean, sometimes, even for my birthday, I mean, I've been getting, uh, today I could go to Jimmy John's, I could go to Chipotle, I could go to, um, I don't know, I mean, I've been getting emails all week long, free this, free this, free this, I'm like, yes, rewards, they're coming my way, every birthday. But what are the rewards here? The rewards here are spiritual growth. When you go all the way back to verse 3, it says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when you're in the midst of trials and you're being tested and you stand firm and you're steady and you continue through obedience and faithfulness, you grow in further steadfastness. When the next trial comes, you're ready. 
So that's one of the rewards. The other reward here is found in verse 12. It says that you'll receive the crown of life. I like competitions. I think that's maybe one reason why I coach, because I like to win. I don't like to lose. But when we lose, it kind of humbles us to be more hungry for the next situation. Because I'm like, man, I wanted to win, but we didn't get it. So let's regroup, and we're ready to go next time. We're going to beat them. I'm convinced even in that national tournament, the soccer tournament I was talking about, I think if we played that same team from North Carolina, I think we would have beat them next time. I think we would have beat them handily because we would have learned from that trial. But in this passage, it talks about the crown of life. The term for crown here is borrowed from athletics rather than royalty. It was the wreath that was placed on the victor's head in the athletic events symbolizing their perseverance, persevering triumph. And a more literal translation could be the crown, which is life. That is eternal life. So consequently, a more accurate statement of the principle is this. Perseverance attests to God's approval, for it gives evidence of eternal life or your salvation. In other words... Perseverance does not result in salvation and eternal life, but itself the result and evidence of your salvation. Let's look last, the evidence. In verse 12, it gives us the evidence. Your passion to live for God in the midst of these trials shows your faithfulness to God, and it says here that you receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. This morning, are you faithful in your trials? And by the way you respond in your trials and your struggles, do you show a love for God? Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This morning, how are you responding to trials? All of us, We're on a level playing field. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or in the middle class. What matters is whether you know Christ as your Lord and Savior and then how you take that and respond to the trials that you have been given. I want to close with a song called Desert Rose by casting crowns. I'm going to read the words for you. It, it totally describes what we've been going through in the book of James as we talk about trials. Even this last week, I don't know if you guys follow casting crowns at all, but Mark Hall, the lead singer, his dad passed away. He had a trial that he faced even just this week. Look at these lyrics of this song. He said, I don't want to write this song. I don't want this pain to be my story. I don't want this desert road. Are you sure this is the plan that you have for me? Out here in the dust and clay, God, if there's a bigger picture, it's getting hard to see today. 
but I know that you won't leave me. I don't know where this is going, but I know who holds my hand. It's not the path I would have chosen, but I'll follow you to the end. That's the course. Lord, as long as I'm breathing, I will make your glory known. Even if it means I'm walking on this desert road, on this desert road, where you lead, I will follow. You've got my attention now. I was doing the talking, but now I'm listening. This is where my hope is found, knowing life is hard, but you're still with me. I'm not out here on my own. You're close to the brokenhearted because you already walked this road and you're going to finish what you started. I don't know where this is going, but I know who holds my hand. It's not the path I would have chosen, but I'll follow you to the end. Lord, as long as I am breathing, I will make your glory known, even even if it means I'm walking on this desert road. Where you lead me, I will follow. Where you lead me, I will follow. As you lift my hand, I see where you lead me. I will follow. So many desperate souls in need. Where you lead me, I will follow. I'll walk with them as you walk with me. Where you lead me, I will follow. You're the living water to the thirsty. This morning, it might be a desert road that you're on. I'm sorry. It's not fun. But as you think about this, whether you're rich or poor, you're on a level ground of trials. And what does God want you to do? He wants you to trust. He wants you to be faithful. Continue to pour out to him. He desires to hear from you. You are his son or his daughter.